0: Uh, Well, first, welcome
1: um, on behalf of the Economic Society, for those of you that have added here, for those of you that have come from far much further away. Um, I guess in light of the looming general election, hopefully today we'll shed some light upon what each of the parties will will do should they come to power. And uh, amidst perhaps one of the greatest recessions in recent economic history, um, economic policy is perhaps one of the most important things of the upcoming election. Um, I hope I hope we'll shed some light on it, and I'll hand over to Judith for some uh, you. remarks.
0: I think, in some ways, this is the opening of the 2010 election campaign season. I don't think anybody doubts not, uh, that this election will be fought on the terrain of economic issues. And the three speakers tonight are all have portfolios in their parties with the Treasury. And uh, we will, Your uh, your Greg will go first. Can we? Oh, no, I know, I we can. We agreed that Greg okay. will go first. Well,
2: okay, and you want me so, at this podium, too. Right.
0: So, you will, yeah, you'll I'm go to right. the podium, right? Right. Um, and so, if, uh, Greg Hans, who is the, at present, he's the MP right. for Fulham and Hammersmith. His constituency will change to Chelsea and Fulham. He is a member of the uh, shadow front bench treasury team. That's and right. that's. All I will say for now so that we can give you the maximum time. And Greg, they will each speak first for up to 10 minutes. Uh, I will uh, first I will hold that up when the red light goes, and they will conclude their remarks, or I will uh, do something. And but they will then get to come back and have three minutes each, and then we will open up for questions. Okay, take it away.
2: Um, well, well, thank you, uh, Judith, and thank you, uh, Raj. And can I just say it's a great pleasure to be here. Uh, at the LSE this evening. I'm conscious of the fact there might be some of my uh, present constituents here and potentially your future constituents as well. Now, can I also say there's going to be a lot of debates coming up with the three leaders' debates and also um, the chancellors of the Exchequer, I think the foreign affairs spokesman, uh, the home affairs spokesman, so there'll be a lot of debate, but congratulations to you here at the LSE for getting in first and making sure that your debate uh, is the uh, first of the lot. Now, in terms of where we are on the economy, uh, I think I'm probably not uh, giving anybody any particular news by saying that we are in a crisis. And we are in a crisis really on three fronts. We are in a credit crisis, we are in a jobs crisis, and we are in a debt crisis. Uh, On the credit crisis, we are coming out of the longest and deepest recession on record. And bear in mind, this is under a prime minister who claimed year after year that there would be, quote, no return to boom and bust, and we've just had the biggest bust of all. He also said that we were better placed than every other major economy, and of course, the opposite has been shown to be true. And actually, having been elected in 2005, uh, I have, if you like, a unique distinction, or all of us elected for the first time in 2005, um, that over the course of this parliament, uh, we are actually, as a country, worse off now than we were five years ago. And that is the only Parliament uh, that can say such a thing, that by the end of the Parliament we are worse off uh, than we were uh, before the Parliament uh, started. And that even compares with all of the dark years of the 1970s, uh, the 1980s in terms of the recession then, and in the early 90s, this one is far worse. Secondly, we're in a jobs crisis. Um, Youth unemployment has risen by 50% under Labour and is at its highest since records began in 1992. Uh, But also, youth unemployment has been rising, not just uh, through this recession, uh, but since 2002. Now, I appreciate we did get better news on employment today, which is certainly welcome, um, but still, unemployment is way, way too high, particularly youth unemployment, uh, and we desperately need private sector jobs growth uh, to be leading us out of recession. And the third crisis is on the debt crisis. Um, we are currently, uh, this year, borrowing between £175 billion and £180 billion. Now, to give, put that in perspective, that is, if you like, for every £4 pounds that you're spending, £1 pound is borrowed. We are borrowing around about £500 million pounds a day. Or putting it another way, we're borrowing more as a country um, this year and next year than every single other government put together prior to this one, which I think is an astonishing statistic since the national debt started, I think, in the late 17th or 18th century. And um, the public sector net debt has already doubled under this Labour government since 1997, And the Treasury's own figures show it doubling again uh, by the year um, 2014-15. Now that's just a setting of the picture today. Uh, When you look at things like uh, forward interest rates, um, really the picture is truly terrifying. Uh, The market is already saying that interest rates will be rising uh, quite considerably unless we get a grip on the deficit. And the Treasury is already saying that debt interest will rise from $22 this year to 67 billion in three years' time, and that's even before any significant interest rate rises. By which point, it'll be larger than any budget item rather than health. So, anybody who says to you that the deficit doesn't matter, or even as the government say, that we need to be having a high deficit to get us out of recession. I tell you that is coming at a very um, significant uh, cost. Now, why do we need to keep interest rates down, uh, which I think will be the biggest priority for an incoming Conservative government? Um, First of all, it's a bit of enlightened uh, self-interest in the sense that the government has to get to grips with that deficit. If we are paying an enormous amount out on interest rate payments on that debt, uh, it's going to make it uh, very difficult for the government. I think it will also make it difficult for business. Uh, We all know that uh, uh, recovery is uh, driven by business, and we need to keep interest rates uh, as low as we reasonably can to aid that recovery. It will also be very, very difficult for people with mortgages uh, and other indebted uh, consumers. So I would describe the situation at the moment as being uh, precarious. So what is our plan um, for the recovery? First, we are determined that the recovery will not be built on the backs of the poorest. Uh, We are quite clear that we are all in this together and we need to make sure that everybody pays their fair share. Secondly, we need to get banks lending again um, through our National Loan Guarantee Scheme, uh, which will be up and running quite quickly, we think, to get credit flowing uh, in the economy. The third area is to tackle unemployment uh, with our programme called Get Britain Working. Um, We also have a targeted uh, uh, tax incentive. Uh, No employer national insurance contributions on the first 10 employees of any new business in the first uh, year that's been uh, started up as a way of encouraging uh, small business growth and employment in that sector. We'll be cutting corporation tax, uh, the headline rate from 28p to 25p, the small companies rate from 22 to 20, funded by the phasing out of some of the complex allowances. Uh, But overall, we see ourselves having to go to, to create a new economic model based on more investment, more savings, higher exports, and we'll need a strong private sector recovery driven overall by enterprise. But the deficit is going to be the most important thing um, for us to tackle. We are pledged to remove the bulk of the structural deficit uh, within the First Parliament, and we will start doing this right away, mainly through spending reductions, but we cannot rule out tax rises as well. We will create a new Office of Budget Responsibility uh, with fiscal rules, uh, sorry, with the current uh, the government's uh, fiscal rules there was no uh, independent oversight and there was generally backward looking. We want to introduce a scheme uh, not unlike uh, Sweden, Denmark and the Netherlands uh, which has an independent office for budget responsibility uh, which is uh, producing independent forecasts and recommendations. There's no obligation on the government to follow the recommendations uh, but I think there will be, uh, the government I think will have a difficult job of explaining uh, if it seems that the recommendations are very good ones. Um, So it makes it much harder to create uh, such a debt crisis in the future. We also need uh, credibility in the markets. Uh, Having worked in the international debt markets, I know this only too well, the importance of maintaining Britain's AAA credit rating. And the markets are sending the message very, very clearly indeed that it is a Conservative government that will maintain our AAA credit rating, and it's the markets who are saying that only a Conservative government will have that credibility. And before anybody uh, casts any doubt about the importance of maintaining your creditworthiness, I would just point to the example of Greece, uh, where their debt uh, servicing costs have risen considerably, as I think most people in this room will know, uh, which has already fed through to higher mortgage costs um, for Greek uh, consumer borrowers. So what have we said uh, on the deficit? Um, Our intention uh, is, as I said, not to close the deficit on the back of the poorest, but to make sure that everybody pays their fair share. Um, The first thing we would have a public sector pay freeze in 2011. Anybody earning more than 18,000 would have their pay freeze, except for the armed forces. Pay frozen, except for the armed forces. We would cut the cost of whitehall by at least a third. We would cap public sector pensions at 50,000 child trust funds only for the poorest and for those with disabled children, and stopping tax credits to those earning more than 50000 gives you, if you like, a, a flavour of some of the uh, measures um, that we're proposing. And just a couple of points really in conclusion. Let me tell you why I don't think that Labour can really cut the deficit. And that is, and you may think I'm verging into the area of politics, but it is an important point, and that is because I believe the Labour Party has become a wholly owned subsidiary of the trade union Unite. The amazing revelations today that Unite even has a full-time officer in the Prime Minister's Policy Development Unit with the salary and the pension paid 100% by the trade union Unite. Now, whoever wins and whoever forms the next government is going to need to carry out public service reform. And I believe it will be nearly impossible to do this for Labour if they are this close to the largest and most militant public service union, who are effectively their paymaster. This public sector union pays Labour's bills, pays Labour MP's expenses, and a huge number of candidates are union officials, and 148 MPs receive funding uh, from Unite, and now we learn they have their own senior staff in Downing Street itself. So my conclusion... Is this election coming up? Uh, We will have... I'm going to give you a couple of predictions. The first is I think we're going... There's going to be an enormous amount of public interest in this election. I think we're going to have the highest turnout uh, since 1992. I think, regrettably, other parties uh, may hit a record high, um, which I think uh, is not necessarily going to be helpful for our democracy, with uh, certain... the BNP in particular. Uh, But I believe that the Conservatives will win this election, and I believe that we will win it well. I think the electorate, when they come to a choice between five more years of Gordon Brown, and let's face it, three years have been bad enough, uh, or a new direction under the Conservatives and David Cameron, that they will choose the latter. Thank you very much.
0: We'll go next, uh, next to yeah. who is the Member of Parliament for Warwick and Clinton Spa, and a member of the Treasury Select Committee, uh, and is in the Labour Party as you can figure out. Uh, again, it will be 10 minutes and the floor is
3: yours. Okay, Judith, thank you very much. I'm going to take you on to a different view. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: now let me start off by saying that. Uh, I think if you look back over the track record of the Labour government since 1997, uh, I would say that we built a macroeconomic framework which is working well and which has left us equipped well to cope with the extraordinary circumstances that now prevail. Let's just recall the dramatic reforms that we made to the system when we came in the Bank of England, the move to Bank of England independence and to the new fiscal rules that we set, um, the the overhaul of the whole regulatory system that we did, we got rid of a smorgasbord of different regulators and put the Financial Services Authority in place. Um, This enabled us, as we uh, put all these mechanisms into place, to uh, deliver, over the last ten years, um, sustained economic growth. The economy is now one-third larger Than it was before we started doing this. A record period of low inflation uh, throughout that entire period, an economy that created two and a half million extra jobs, and a fiscal situation which allowed the Labour government, while Gordon Brown was Chancellor of the Exchequer, to repay more national debt than had been repaid by the previous governments of 50 years. So that by the time the 2008 economic tsunami Uh, Our economy was well-placed to cope with the pressures that flowed from that. Now, let's not underestimate the impact of what happened to the global economy uh, in 2008. And there was a big hit on the United Kingdom economy. There's no point in trying to disguise that for two reasons. One is we have a large financial services sector which has, on the whole, done our economy proud. It contributes an awful lot to GDP, creates millions of jobs. Um, But as it's a large proportion of our economy, given that this this was a financial crisis, we were bound to take quite a hit on it, and we did. This is also a very open trading economy. So with all the world's major economies hit, that was going to impact on us. So yes, the impact has been quite severe. But look at the actions that we took And look at the decisions that we made as a government when all of this happened. We moved swiftly. We we did very dramatic things. And we made all the right calls. And in fact, we were doing this first. And most of the rest of the world's governments followed the lead that the Labour government set in this country. We moved in very, very swiftly to support the banking system, to prevent it collapsing. While others were saying, oh, it's all right let the banks go. We moved in very swiftly with financial underwriting to underpin the whole of the financial system to prevent a complete collapse. Because of independence of Bank of England, the Monetary Policy Committee could do extraordinary things to support the economy through monetary policy, bringing interest rates right down to the floor and using (coughs) quantitative easing measures, injecting hundreds of billions of pounds into the economy to support it at a critical time. We, did the, we were able to do the fiscal stimulus, which other parties said we shouldn't do. But we did it, and it helped support the economy. We put in a wide measure of business support, all very carefully targeted and done very quickly. Measures like the Strappage Scheme, for example, and the scheme that allowed businesses to suspend the payment of taxes, all taken up by businesses to a large extent, and all meant that, yes, we had a deep recession, It wasn't the longest recession and we are now climbing out of it and moving back to recovery precisely because of the judgment calls that we made and which were opposed by other parties. Now there's a task in front of us to secure that recovery and we take the view that you need to keep the stimulus motions in place because the the recovery is not yet secured; It is still fragile and we do not agree with other parties who say that the fiscal stimulus immediately be withdrawn. We believe in keeping support in place for businesses, for jobs, for homeowners, so that they can cope with the pressures that are in front of us. Now, the size of the deficit is unsustainable. Absolutely, beyond doubt. So, we have to put in place the right measures to tackle the deficit. That's why we've passed legislation the first time any government's done this, to bind ourselves, to halve the deficit over four years. Actually, a very stringent policy and tougher than many other governments all also facing big deficits. Tougher than anybody else has done. A commitment to harvest over four years to get the structural deficit down from 9% to 3% over those uh, four years. We've already announced some tax rises. £19 billion pounds of tax rises already announced. And we're asking people with the broadest shoulders to carry most of the burden. That's why there's a 50% new marginal tax rate, as well as an increase in national insurance, as well as changes to pension uh, relief for higher earners. We've also announced £30 billion worth of spending reductions. And as soon as the world's economy has stabilised, and we're more certain of where we are, there'll be a comprehensive spending review, setting out the programme for that four or five years to deliver that very stringent objective of halving that deficit. we need to secure long-term growth as well this isn't just about tackling the deficit and securing recovery it's what happens next it's about thinking about Britain's long-term future and investing for that future that's why we have a new industries future jobs strategy in place it's why we're putting government backing into the key industries that will deliver the jobs of tomorrow that will probably be the basis of your careers low-carbon businesses Uh, IT based businesses pharmaceutical businesses Uh, that's why we have a strategic (coughs) investment fund in place, opposed by other parties that has helped those businesses get through this recession and build for the future in the end managing the economy is about making the right judgement call and sometimes being able to make it in the most challenging of circumstances, we made the right decisions back in 1997 to restructuring the system, we've made the right decisions now Yes, the going is tough at the moment, very tough, and there are very big challenges. But I suggest in those circumstances, you stick with the people who proved they have the right judgment and they make the right call. Thank you. Okay, I won't
0: pretend that this cable isn't the best known for the speakers, but I'll give you the 30-second variant, nonetheless, that he's MP4 for the uh, Liberal Democrats, and he is the shadow <coughs> Chancellor for his party. It's yours. We have 10 minutes. I will,
4: if necessary, if you all. God well, first of all, I, I apologise uh, particularly to Greg for arriving late. I've been doing a voyage of exploration around your campus, eventually finding you. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'd, I'd start, I think, essentially in the same place that James did. I think this this is not the, the typical election. We have kind of normal conditions. You vote on, on what's happened over that four-year period. Um, what we've had is a quite extraordinary economic and financial crisis, quite unique within our lifetime. Some of it was global in character, some of it was domestically generated. Um, we're still in the middle of it. Uh, it's very far from clear that the British economy has indeed recovered. And I think much of the debate is going to be around that issue. You know, how do we get into it? what's going on and how do we get out of it and which of the various parties has got the best approach to resolving the remaining problems, which are very severe. I mean, in terms of how we got where we are, I mean, how did this, i to call it, tsunami arrive? Well, it's a mixture of things. I mean, we had an extraordinary bubble in British property, uh, domestic, commercial, uh, propped up by a very large amount of commercial uh, lending through the banking system, mortgage lending. Uh, some of us were sufficiently exercised about this to start warning Gordon Brown about it around about 2003, 2004, But the British authorities didn't see a problem and the bubble grew and grew and it grew to be the most problem, the most serious in the Western world except possibly in Ireland. Uh, we then had extraordinary failures of uh, governance and management within the banking system Uh, very complex derivatives built on the back of mortgage-backed securities. Um, The the overall risk of the system was not properly managed, not properly regulated, not properly supervised. There was extraordinary recklessness and stupidity within the system, or parts of it. Not all banks were bad, but many of them were. and We had the whole collapse of this sort of pack of cards. Now, as James quite rightly said, and I do agree with him at this point, the reaction so the crisis, when it came, was was in the UK prompt and pretty effective in when it happened, the autumn of 2008. Um, I don't think it's entirely correct to say that you know, Gordon Brown invented everything, but you know I, I've always acknowledged that the response to the crisis was 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 broadly correct. I mean, I do criticise the government for the complacency leading up to it. Uh, there was certainly a a willingness to understand the instability that was building up in household debt and housing, uh, a lack of understanding of the dangers posed by an excessive large banking system, but nonetheless we were where we were and they did react to it quickly, had extraordinary monetary policy, fiscal policy, semi-nationalization of the banking system uh, and the, the systems of underpinning credit um, I don't think it was, as I said, entirely there creation. I, I, I like to think that some of the things that were happening were several weeks after I and my colleagues had been calling for them. But nonetheless, it was, it was a, a, a good episode in this long period of government. I think they've drifted since, actually, in some key respects, particularly failing to follow through on the uh, action taken on the banking system. But more or less, if we take that period in isolation, it was a positive one. Look, we're now in a period where uh, we hope there is recovery, um, I have to say, it's far from clear that that's happening. There are a lot of negatives hanging over the economy. It's been artificially supported by monetary steroids. We don't know what will happen when they're withdrawn. Uh, British households are very heavily overborrowed. We're reluctant to spend. We don't know where the growth of, of demand is going to come from. And we have this enormous budget deficit hanging over the economy, which at the moment is fundable. The government's able to borrow at fairly low interest rates. But it's fairly clear that this isn't sustainable. And the big task facing the next government is going to how you manage this uh, we're talking about 12 13% of gdp and about two thirds of that is structural and you know, it has to be got rid of by fiscal contraction there is a debate between the parties about when you start i think i'm broadly on james's side on that particular controversy um, the economy is extremely weak it would in our view, be counterproductive to embark on very rapid cuts this financial year, uh, which would aggravate the recession uh, and actually make the fiscal deficit worse. Where we part company, um, certainly with the government, at to some degree the Conservatives, about how specific you've got to be about this fiscal agenda, we take the view that you have got to explain as clearly as possible to the British public what you're going to do, and we've identified something of the order of 15 billion of cuts, some of which Greg mentioned, some overlap there, and a lot of others too. Some of that money should be diverted to helping support the recovery, job creation particularly, but most of it is used to pay down the deficit. So that's the first big problem, how you deal with the deficit. It's got to be the overriding priority because there is a very real risk and I think Greg is right that unless it's properly dealt with and seen to be dealt with, you have a crisis of financial confidence externally. Secondly, we have to sort out the banking system. It's not functioning. Blacks have lurched from extreme recklessness in some cases to extreme conservatism hoarding capital not entirely their fault, they're acting under regulatory instructions, they're reinforcing the downward swing of the cycle, there are enormous numbers of very good British companies cannot get capital, a lot of them are having to close, they can't expand, and the government having effectively taken control of the banking system should, in our view, be requiring the banks, and particularly the banks that are publicly owned or semi-publicly owned in the case of RBS and Lloyd, requiring them to Lend within the agreements that they have already reached. They've got legally binding lending agreements, they're not meeting them. Uh, and moreover, the, the banking system is highly unstable. We've got banks as a share of the British economy, which are much the largest of any major industrial economy. We're not quite at Icelandic levels, but approaching it, it's unstable. We've got to hear the advice of the government of the Bank of England to break them up and make the whole system systemically stable, which it currently isn't. Thirdly, getting beyond the immediate crisis, we've got to think about recovery. How do you sustain recovery? The British economy has got to be rebalanced. It's over-dependent on financial services in the City of London. We've got to look to more of a manufacturing sector. That's been partly helped by the big devaluation we've had. But there's a lot of support needs to be given to that in terms of infrastructure. British infrastructure is very substandard. We don't have institutions to finance infrastructure properly in the long term the educational base is very poor so clearly a lot of investment needs to be directed in those directions to sustain recovery in the long term and the last and final point I would make is about the theme of fairness, Britain is going to have a very hard time in the next few years you know, James mentioned the word recovery and we may get recovery to some degree but I think nobody can seriously pretend that the next few years are not going to be any other than extremely difficult with quite sharp contraction of many areas of public spending, possibly some degree of increased taxation, there is going to be quite a substantial degree of hardship. People have to feel a sense of solidarity, and the only way, in our view, of getting that is to have a taxation system that is more redistributed, is fair. So, we're, what we are proposing to do is to lift the tax threshold to ten thousand. Lifting four million people out of tax, giving people more of an incentive to work and save and actually amounts also to a 700 pound tax cut for people on average pay and the people who are very wealthy, very affluent, people who have done well out of the boom they pay a bit more and we suggest getting rid of tax reliefs, particularly pensions you get high rate tax relief if you are on high earner capital gains tax is less than half the earned income rate which Encourages a lot of people to avoid paying uh, top rate tax. And we also suggest tax on high value property, over two million pounds, raise another two billion that way. Some degree of taxation on pollution, aviation, pooling all that money and using it to cut taxes on people at the bottom end of the income scale. In that way, you not just create the right incentives, you create a sense of fairness and equity, which is what we're going to need through what's going to be a very difficult time. Thank you.
0: I'll speak from here to save time we now go in the same order uh, and you have uh, three minutes up to three minutes to respond since we're tight on time please don't feel obliged to use all three minutes but we all know this is the best part so we're others uh,
2: right um, okay I'll probably um, I think from here on I guess we're speaking from here so um, well um, thank you um, to the, the other two speakers Um and it's, uh, it's good to have a debate. Um, let me just pick up on a couple of points um, James Plaskett made uh, from Labour um, because uh, I think some of the stuff he said was really uh, quite incredible. Um, he said that he thought the macroeconomic framework had been working well. Uh, he praised the new fiscal rules uh, that were introduced in 1997. Um, yet I think it's clear to everybody that the fiscal rules uh, were first uh, fiddled uh, and then abandoned. Um, The overhaul of the regulatory system, I think Vince and I uh, would be agreed. Um, The regulatory system, while by no means uh, the cause of uh, of the crisis, I think certainly didn't help. It was quite clear um, that nobody was in charge, um, and tripartite uh, simply uh, hadn't worked. I think to say that uh, uh, the independence of the Bank of England uh, was a good move, but to say that the overhaul of the regulatory system was a positive, uh, I would strongly uh, disagree with that, which was actually a point... Uh, the wheel the conservatives made at the time uh, back in the late 90s. Um, and then he came out with some fairly incredible stuff about the repayment of debt and I'm afraid to say that uh, one of the problems, there's two big criticisms of Labour going into uh, this recession uh, let's just ignore for a moment the behaviour during the recession but let's just deal for a moment going into this recession um, the first was, uh, um, was actually they're running the biggest deficit of any major economy um, going into this recession and James was talking about the repayment of debt. But when you look at um, the debt issuance figures going into the recession, for those three or four years prior to the recession, guilt issuance in this country was around about 50 to £55 billion pounds per annum, uh, which was as high as just one year in the early 90s um, during uh, right at the peak of the last recession. There was a massive amount of guilt issuance reflecting the budget deficit uh, going into uh, this recession. And he talked about the fiscal stimulus. Uh, I'm afraid to say that uh, the VAT cut in particular, uh, I think, was a terrible waste uh, and widened the deficit and, I think, had no appreciable uh, impact on the economy. Uh, It was supposed to particularly impact in in the retail sector and consumer spending. Most of the major retailers said it had obviously no impact uh, uh, whatsoever. So I think the two major mistakes... Uh, the regulatory system and going in with the largest uh, uh, budget deficit. And it's all very well. Now uh, it's all dressed up as this new piece of legislation to halve the deficit. Now I'm afraid to say it's not a piece of legislation you need. You need to show a a plan and a programme and a willingness to reduce the deficit. I'm afraid a piece of legislation uh, simply uh, doesn't cut it. Um, I think uh, what uh, Vince for the Liberal Democrats said uh, I agreed with uh, rather more of uh, but not all of it. Um, I think he was saying that two-thirds of the deficit is structural and, quote, has to be gotten rid of. Um, And he says he's identified £15 billion of cuts. Um, Unfortunately, I think a lot of his colleagues uh, disagree. Um, David Laws, his uh, education spokesman, uh, was on Newsnight only last week um, talking about all of health, education, policing and international development uh, all being ring-fenced. His leader, meanwhile, on the other side, um, has been talking about savage cuts uh, starting uh, this year, uh, which uh, again I think shows a, a certain muddleness in the overall thinking uh, from the Liberal Democrats. However, I agree with them that we need to sort out the banking system. The economy is imbalanced, and we need to do something about that. And the importance of fairness. Okay,
3: over to. Okay, thank you very much. Um, to deal with uh, Conservative position first of all. Um, That's quite easy because it's in their DNA just to get hold of the uh, public spending as soon as possible and start cutting it, um, because that's just what they want to do. And I think it's a fundamental misjudgment, um, and I'm just going to plead in, um, support some major witnesses, if I may, um, such as Dominic Strauss-Kahn, who's the managing director of the IMF. Um, I'll use his words, exit too soon and you will kill the recovery. Um, exit should await a sustained recovery in private demand. Uh, we recommend erring on the side of caution, uh, as exiting too early is costlier than exiting too late. Um, Richard Lambert, the CBI director, I think the government is right to say it would be a bad idea to slam the brakes on right now, because the economy is too fragile. And yet you had Ken Clark uh, yesterday, I think it was, or on the radio saying let's go even faster on deficit reduction and he wants the structural deficit eliminated um, at breakneck speed I think all of that instinct is once again a case of the wrong judgement being made at a critical time and I think the conservative approach would be pretty damaging to the economy Greg did a bit of rewriting of history on the subject of regulation um, I sat on the committee in parliament that introduced the financial services authority Uh, three or four months on that committee (laughs) and all the time we were taking that legislation through we were battling against Conservative opposition saying you're over-regulating you're over-regulating you should just leave the banks to do what they want to do it'll be fine the market will sort it all out so we put that regulatory system in place in the teeth of determined Conservative opposition not to do it okay it didn't work out perfectly it wasn't the ideal solution But if you'd had the alternative, you'd have had no regulatory system in place to support us at all Um, I think my problem with the uh, Lib Dem position on this is we have a problem of the sums not adding up uh, Which is what seems to be a a bit of a recurrent um, Problem Vince ran through the list Uh, They've got this um, 10,000 pound personal tax allowance um, we've costed that at 22 billion pounds. That's a pretty expensive measure, and I'm not sure how it's supposed to be paid for. Um, he mentioned his um, air passenger duty reform, which they claim would raise 2 billion. It only raises 119 billion, so there's a bit of a hole there. And last night in Parliament, we had a debate on um, tuition fees and universities. And once again, we had your colleague um, saying that the Lib Dems are going to scrap um, tuition fees. Uh, I'm sure you'd like the sound of that um, over six years. Uh, We kept pressing him, however. How do you pay for it? Uh, And I think in the end he agreed the bill was about $7 but we didn't get an answer as to how it's funded. So my problem with the Lib Dem position is it's warm words. It sounds
4: fairly cozy, but in the end the sums don't matter. Well, let me just uh, first respond to the particular points. As Ralph's Greg's concern, certainly my leader has never contradicted the view that I've taken, and he's repeatedly taken, that it's not sensible to make deep cuts this financial year. I don't know how that got into circulation. My colleague, David Laws, who talked about ring fencing, was wrong, and uh, I hope that's going to be corrected. We do not believe in ring fencing, particular government departments for spending, and when you reflect on this... It's clear that that approach is not helpful, so what the Conservatives have adopted. Uh, but what you're really saying is that, well, in order to protect enormous budgets like health, uh, we're going to take very, very savage bites out of everything else, you know, local government, the police, the universities, uh, and we do not believe that any sector of public spending should be exempt from careful scrutiny. And as far as James's point is concerned, that the numbers do add up, and I can assure him that they add up because we're using Treasury estimates of where these, uh, what these various measures cost. The tax package costs 16 billion. That's not our figure; that comes straight from the Treasury, uh, and the various revenue contributions to it have been checked out by the Institute of Fiscal Studies, another political body, and they did our numbers for us. Um, so I, I, we have no problems with so-called adding up of numbers. You may not like the policies. Uh, Been more uh, aggressive in terms of what my two colleagues have said. <laughs> as far as the, the Tories are concerned, I think one or two specific points. Going back, let's not forget that many of the problems that led up to this crisis originated back in time with the deregulatory environment that the Tories introduced. One of the most damaging uh, was the demutualisation of building societies. Most of the banks that collapsed. Uh, were former building societies, mutual building societies that were converted into banks and the structure was unstable and that helped precipitate the crisis that we've had. When the crisis happened, I've acknowledged that, for all my many criticisms, the Labour government handled it well. I mean, the Tories were all over the place. I mean, they did not know what to do about the problems of Northern Rock and then about the bigger banking failure were initially stridently opposed to public ownership, even though the alternative was the nationalization of of losses and the privatization of profits. Uh, And that was not a glorious episode. And coming up more recently on this absolutely fundamental issue, uh, George Osborne was quite clear until very recently that the next government needed to embark on substantial cuts in the coming financial year to year seriousness. David Cameron then went off to Davos... (laughs) and said, well, no, 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 just, you know, very little, if any, this financial year. I mean, there is a lack of clarity on that fundamental point. I think I've been uh, critical enough of of Labour already. I've got quite a long list of things I I can add, but given the short time, I'll uh, spare them this time around. Right. Okay, well, because we are tight on time,
0: we really can't have discussion, just questions, which we're sorry about. I hope people will stay afterwards and talk among themselves. Can I see as a show of hands how many people at the moment this is your last chance, but would like to ask questions? Okay. Well, What I suggest is that I will start like that, Um, and what I'll do is after the first topic is your question. If there are others with the same topic, I will call on them, and then group those, and you'll answer that group. But
1: what I don't want to do is hand them five different topics to handle. Okay, so okay. there you Yeah. Okay. Well my question is well since about the NC is about the tax cuts. And George Osborne actually came here and we were talking about cuts, you know when he was cutting the deficit when the Swedish finance came in and said, this is what we did in Sweden. And George Osborne was very, very supportive and, and though large of not sorry, not tax cuts budget deficit and cuts very soon. Um, but I'm just wondering how, how clear can that position be made tonight by itself and for example the other parties how quickly can we get the budget deficit down okay, so other
0: questions on budget deficit how fast we get it down and what their party position is Any on that, yes well, I was just interested because I was watching Prime Minister's questions today just reflecting on how adversarial our system seems and I was just thinking that because the market reacts so badly to uncertainty, whether there wasn't more scope for some cross-party talks on making a plan for the deficit, like, I'm not so sure, given that there's already been elements of compromise on behalf of all the parties in terms of their positions, whether there's not more room for the parties
1: coming together and presenting a plan on behalf of Britain because it seems that's something the markets
0: might react well to, whereas at the moment they're worried about the uncertainty of who's going to be in government and whether they will even be one, just one party in government. Okay, others on budget deficit. Okay, if not, then take it away each of you in turn. Um, shall we go that way? Uh, uh, starting with Greg, uh, <clears> right? Uh, budget deficit, what do right. you think about it? And on okay. the budget deficit, is it useful to have But you, You're,
2: you're going to mix up the answering order at some point. Yeah, well, okay. well <laughs> what I was thinking of you,
0: you, and then oh. or me. So, Okay.
2: okay. Uh, I think the the, the first question on um, um, cuts, uh, how quickly, how much, um, to be honest, I I think I've already answered um, that we will start in year one, um, that we will remove the bulk of the structural deficit uh, within one parliament, uh, and I think only we have got the credible plan uh, to do it. And that sort of links into the answer to the second question. Um, cross-party talks on the deficit. Will the markets react well to it? No, I don't think they would. I think one of the reasons the markets have reacted really quite badly uh, in the last few weeks with a sterling selling off, a gilt yield rising, uh, has been the, the specter of a hung parliament, uh, which I think would render potentially a Britain's government uh, rather less decisive than it needs to be uh, in its approach to the economy in general uh, and the deficit in particular. Um, so I think the, uh, the prospect of a hung parliament uh, is, I think, uh, the thing that is really damaging uh, confidence there from the markets. Okay. So, uh, James next. And then,
0: Vincent. and then I will do them in uh, systematic order, as you suggested. I've mixed them.
3: Okay, your question on getting uh, down the deficit, as I say we've put the uh, strategy in place. Uh, it's a four-year strategy by the end of which we'll have the structural deficit down to about 3%. Um, We think that's the right pace to go at, um, and we've set it out very clearly. Uh, The early moves are already announced on that. Uh, As I said, I ran through the mix of tax measures we've already taken and some of the spending measures we've already taken. But the key thing is, we're saying, is gear the rate at which you pay down the deficit to the performance of the economy. Don't put the recovery at risk just going at it dogmatically because you just want to do it because in the end it will be counterproductive you could actually make the deficit worse so you've got to nurture this recovery and link what you're doing to that on the question about uncertainty well uh, look you guys get to make the choice right and this is what a democratic process is about Uh, there's an election coming Um, and in the run up to an election all of us in the political parties will put our prospectus to you and then you decide um, and you'll elect to Parliament uh, and that's the Parliament that's got to deal with these issues. Now, it may have a majority government, it may not have um, an outright winner. That's, as I say, for you to decide. Um, if it's something other than an outright winner, then clearly parties will have to work together because that's what you will have decreed as, as
4: the electors of this country. From the speed of the deficit, I think, yeah, and please see James has now taken my lines on all this, that we We've been arguing for really quite a long time that it doesn't actually make sense to have a political formula for deciding the speed uh, of cuts. It's got to be decided by economic criteria, and indeed I set out a series of tests some time ago to make that decision. You've got to look at the rate of growth, you've got to look at unemployment, you've got to look at spare capacity, you've got to look at credit conditions. And, of course, you've got to look at external borrowing requirements and costs, and you've got to trade these off in a rational way. It's not sensible to be dogmatic. But on the basis of the conditions that we see today, of course, they can change. On the basis of what we can see today, it would not be prudent, in our view, to make significant net cuts, or indeed any, in the financial year ahead of us, 2010-11. Beyond that, what we should be aiming to do is to achieve... Cuts of around 20 billion, which fits within the framework that the government itself set, which is probably the minimum required. But that's a reasonable indicative target for that year, and we've so far spelled half of that in detail. In terms of the hung parliament and uncertainty issue, it's worth recording in the light of what Greg just said that sterling was at a much lower level of value a year ago when the Conservatives had a 10% lead in the opinion polls, so all this stuff about how market uncertainty, political uncertainty is affecting the exchange rate, I think we need to be a little cautious about. I think that the point is this, that it's very clear from the surveys that are now coming through, uh, sorry, is is there a problem?
0: Yeah, we have noise. You don't. Yeah. Noise oh, it It's not <laughs> the, the, the
4: roof. The roof isn't going to fall there. <laughs>
0: They're celebrating St Patrick's Day. Now. Oh,
4: That's yes. Right. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, I think the. I mean, what is now coming through is that there's a very, very large sector of public opinion. It may not yet be a majority, but it's certainly a very large section who don't trust any of the parties to, to run the country on their own. You know, for reasons that we partly gone into, and actually think it's rather a positive idea that British parties should escape from this tribal, narrow culture, and actually find some common ground. I mean, I think that's beginning to take hold, and I suspect that there are intelligent people in the markets who think that too, and if they were rational, and there are quite a lot of financial commentators who've made this point over the last week, that it doesn't actually make a great deal of sense to have a government, let's suppose in Greg's guy, of what the people want, it could do. I mean, you know, that's been the prediction for the last uh, quite few likely. years. Quite likely, it may well be. Um, you'd have a, a, a government coming in with 40% of the popular vote, let's say 60% turnout, one in four adults, trying to carry through a, a very severe mandate in very difficult conditions with minimum public acceptance of what they're trying to do. You've got some very, very big long-term issues to grapple with. In fact, I think one of the things on Greg's list was public sector pensions. That's not something you can do in two or three years. It affects people's pensions over 20 to 30 years. You've got to have agreement between parties. If you take the costs of long-term personal care, which is a major issue, you've got to have agreement between parties on this. You cannot do this by ramming things through (coughs) unilaterally with governments that may have won a majority in the House of Commons but do not have the majority of the country behind them.
0: Questions. Um, I had this I'll come back to you as you didn't have hand before. Uh, I think it's you back
1: there, yes. Yes, you, yes, you. Quick. <laughs> um, yeah, how, how would uh, all three of you propose to um, wean uh, the UK off um sort of financial services industry, given that you know like Unite is so powerful, and the reason our manufacturing industry is so weak is because we can't compete with in the international market. I mean, that's just like an economic fact. But, um, how, you know, how, how do you propose to, um, you know, expand into areas such as uh, manufacturing, you know, when um, unions in this country are so, like,
0: powerful? Other questions on rebalancing the UK economy off financial services? Yes. Yeah,
4: mine was a similar question. Is, okay. Is there a general consensus that the banking sector uh, or the
1: financial sector is still too, but still too large and that there should be steps taken by
3: the next government to shrink it?
0: Okay. Other questions on the relative size of the financial sector? Yes.
1: Um, given that uh, we are in a whole of, uh, about the structure deficit as we were talking about, um, how feasible is it? Is the rebalancing in the near future as opposed to, say, 20 or 30 years from now?
0: Or on manufacturing, growing manufacturing, shrinking financial services? Nope. Okay, the order that i got on this Latin Square uh, experimental design is that it goes James, Mitz, and Greg now.
3: Right, first of all, uh, on is there an objective in terms of the size of the financial sector? Uh, no, I would say we shouldn't steer it by t- in terms of trying to get to a certain size. It's not the size of the financial sector, it's not the issue, it's the stability of the financial sector. And the job to be done is to put in place the right structure and the right regulatory framework that makes sure the financial sector is stable. If you have a stable financial sector, it can do your economy an awful lot of good. An unstable one will not do any good, whatever its size. So I don't want to target the size of the financial sector. I just want to make sure it moves into a stable um, condition. And I'm going to uh, recommend to you the forthcoming report that my committee is going to produce on this. The Treasury Select Committee will publish a report at the end of this month setting out our proposals as to how we do reform the banking system and reform the regulatory system To put it onto a stable footing. That's essential work that's got to be done. It's a major task for the next Parliament and the next government, but we're going to put some useful ideas forward as to how it might be done. So stability is the important thing, not the size. Uh, I don't accept that this is a weak manufacturing economy at all. Uh, We're the sixth largest manufacturing exporter in the world. Uh, I can take you to any number of incredibly strong and successful manufacturing companies in my own constituency. Um, which are working at the leading edge of modern manufacturing, uh, are are massive exporters of manufactured goods and manufacturing technology. Uh, The university that is close to my constituency, Warwick University, has a world-renowned manufacturing sector uh, research centre in it, which produces spin-off businesses, many of which are now extremely successful. I think the UK is at the leading edge of a lot of um, manufacturing technologies and and products, and quite rightly so. We're very inventive we're very creative. This is a great place to start a business and grow a business. Uh, So, yes, there's plenty of successful manufacturing. The employment in manufacturing has reduced, certainly, because we do a different sort of manufacturing now than we used to do traditionally, and our service sector is the biggest employer, But just because the manufacturing sector has shrunk in terms of employment, don't write it off in terms of its importance in the economy. It's still extremely important. It's still 18, 90, almost 20% of our GDP, um, and very successful for UK PLC. But it needs nurturing. It needs supporting, which is why the uh, tax breaks that we've got in place for manufacturing uh, and the other measures that we have on capital allowances and so forth are critical to the success of manufacturing businesses but they're all going to be pulled
4: away if um, the Tories get it.
0: Um,
4: yes, in terms of the size of the financial sector, I think the, the way the first questioner put it is, is should we get rid of it? I, I'm not sure that that's quite the language I would use. Um, I mean mu- much of the financial sector is pretty uncontroversial. You know, it hasn't caused problems. You know, the insurance industry is being pretty stable. Uh, commodity markets, you know, the stock market, you know, haven't, haven't been a problem. The problem has been around the banking system, which is, of course, one part of financial services. And I do think the British banking sector is too big, uh, and individual institutions are too big. The share of banking assets, balance sheets, as a share of the British economy is something at order of 400%. It's about four times bigger than our national economy. The RBS... Which collapsed had a balance sheet big one bank bigger than the whole of the British economy. Um, Barclays is the same sort of order of magnitude, and the reason why this is a problem is because they're ultimately underwritten by the taxpayer. And you, you currently have a position where Barclays to take one which isn't nationalised and is expanding very rapidly, trying to become the world's largest investment bank on the basis of a taxpayer guarantee and this is fundamentally wrong and dangerous and unstable and it has to be stopped and I, you know, I refer back to what I said in my presentation, the governor view, I mean, this is, is a not, not a politician the governor of the Bank of England says this is very dangerous, these banks have to be broken up because of the threat they pose to British systemic stability so I think in general terms you're right that you know, the sector, the banking sector has to be smaller relative to the rest of the British economy in terms of the manufacturing bit, I, I, I do agree with, with James, there are some very good uh, British manufacturers, and it's one of the surprise figures I noticed recently, that the size of the British manufacturing sector relative to the economy is bigger than it is in France. We tend to think of France as being very good at this, but actually there's still a lot of very good British manufacturing companies left. Those of you who follow my parallel career in left-wing journalism writing for the Mail on Sunday will have seen that I diverted my column last Sunday to this issue and how do you revive, regenerate British manufacturing. And there are some key problems, one of which is credit. A lot of very, very good British manufacturing companies cannot get credit on reasonable terms so they can't expand. This is one of the basic problems of the banking system. Uh, there are serious problems of manpower. We're not generating enough mathematically literate people coming through the university system who can do engineering, and we have very poor quality infrastructure in many respects—transport, digital, other respects. and other respects—and there is a sort of uh, public policy failure in getting that delivered. It's your turn, and I think
0: you might want, then after that, to wind del- up. I think we have no alternative if you want to be.
2: Yeah, I do the have to people go. People will
0: not say to things about
2: you. <laughs> well, I, I promised my yeah, wife I I'd be... I promise I'd be home at 8.30. It. It's <laughs> uh, her evening um, to uh, share the, uh, the childcare duties. Um, just, uh, I think, the, the two parts of the question. Freeing the UK of financial services industries. Um, no, I think we have to be uh, realistic that the UK uh, is dependent on the financial services industries. That's not going to change uh, overnight. Um, The key thing is not to necessarily shrink financial services, but to grow other parts of the economy. Uh, I agree with uh, Vince Cable, the large parts of financial services, and I I come from a background uh, of banking and working on trading floors. And I can talk at some length about some of the problems uh, that uh, grew up in that area. I left in 1997 some time ago. Um, But in terms of the other areas, I mean, insurance... Um, and uh, some of the other areas um, has actually been a, a big uh, British success story. Uh, the banks uh, have become uh, too big. We agree with the thrust of the reforms uh, proposed by the Obama administration uh, and with the broad thrust of the proposed uh, Volcker rule. Um, we do have some uh, um, fantastic industries, uh, high tech, high value added manufacturing, um, some fantastic services industries I feel pretty sure with the milk round uh, going around or drawing to a close roundabout now that there have been some amazing um, service industries um, going around offering uh, we hope uh, positions um, to uh, soon to be LSE graduates uh, and postgrads as well. Um, So I would say the solution is in growing those areas Uh, rather than in bashing uh, financial services, because I think financial services will remain important to the UK. And we need to also defend our financial services sector against encroachment, for example, poorly thought-through rules uh, coming out of Brussels. In terms of the second question, which I think was something on the lines of when do we need to address the deficit, uh, can we not address it in 20 to 30 years' time, I hope I'm not kind of mischaracterising that question. Um, I think we do have to do something uh, right away, Um, The UK, unfortunately, we are in a difficult position where, um, due to the collapse in the domestic savings rate, uh, which frankly was already low in 1997, uh, but totally collapsed under this Labour government, that we are actually unusually dependent. When I say unusually dependent, I mean compared to, say, countries like Japan or even Italy. We are unusually dependent on foreign investors due to our very small domestic savings rate. And we need to show that we are credible, um, that we have a credible plan uh, for reducing uh, the deficit uh, starting uh, right away. We need to off uh, for another generation is something that needs to be uh, uh, addressed now, and that's why we need to re- remove the bulk of the structural deficit within the first term of a parliament.
0: Okay, I think we should thank Greg Hanson, because he will depart. Then in I would have thought the order should be, uh, this cable and that's okay. Um, so we'll let Greg take his departure. We've a summing up. Uh, if there, are, we, we have to end more our anyway. So I prefer to
4: take questions. Though. Oh, uh, to as well, okay. If, well, more you, questions, more left questions.
0: Left. We have more questions. Wonderful, okay. Raj, follow Yes, please. Uh, yes, first, let
1: I think that uh, have got to, to touch on this, but um, how do your sure parties plan to deal with the problem of an aging population, both in terms of health and in terms of pension?
0: I think we can group a few questions, so yeah, please. Um, yeah, great
4: talking about um, conservatives having a policy of fairness when it comes to taxation.
1: Um, I'm not sure that the, the reality of their policy on taxation meets the rhetoric. But I'd like to
4: know how you think that we can build a taxation system that makes sure that the poorest don't pay, you know, uh, the majority of the cost of getting out of recession.
0: Okay, I think those two are media not perhaps. Or what? One more? One more question? Any? Not right now. Okay, so ageing population and fairness in the taxation systems, and that for both of you, right? okay. Is that okay? Or?
4: I think the, the key issue as far as the ageing population and the growing number of pensioners is concerned is how you, how you approach the question of pensions, which is something successive governments have grappled with. Um, you, you can either do this in a sort of very targeted way, which is in a sense where this government have acted with, through pension credit and means testing, which has the merit that you are directing resources to the poorest pensioners has the problem that it provides a big disincentive for people to save, because when the means tested benefits are withdrawn, you're paying quite a high amount of tax in effect. Um, our view is that, that there is no alternative but to have a basic decent state pension, um, given the financial constraints of the country, it isn't possible to offer some very generous increase in state pension as of now uh, and what the, the immediate objective should be to restore the earnings link to something that Mrs Thatcher removed this government's promised to do and I think all parties have now agreed this has got to happen fairly quickly so that pensioners at least have the expectation that their state pension will rise at a reasonable rate and they can plan accordingly um, in terms of the I think the other question was about the sort of fairness of taxation I partly covered that in what I had to say, um, notwithstanding what James's comment on it, we have a fully costed package, um, and the emphasis is on lifting low earners out of tax. And the reasons for that are several. One is that it provides people with an incentive to work, the other is that it does provide a tax cut for people on middle and low income. It lifts a lot of, by lifting a lot of low earners, part time workers, particularly women, out of tax you, you know, you lift them out of the whole kind of means tested network as well. Um, and you do, as you say, you know, people who did extremely well in the boom periods pay a bit more. Um, today, a little bit more about the specific proposals that I was talking about. The mansion tax reflects the fact that there's been a massive increase in property values, particularly there's been a very big increase in inequalities of wealth much of it concentrated in property so it's quite reasonable that you tax that wealth moderately, and we're talking about a 1% levy on the value of property over 2 million you don't raise enormous sums but it does contribute to greater fairness, if you take the capital gains tax regime, in this country if, you, if you're on a high earner, you, even if you pay income tax you pay 40%, it will drop be 50% um, If you manage to convert your earnings into capital, into shares or some other asset, uh, and and that appreciates in value, you only pay 18%. It was something that was exploited by the private equity people. So we want to close that differential. If you have a very, very large pension pot, you get 40% tax relief, which will be 50, uh, uh, instead of 20% if you're just a low earner. So we want to equalise that treatment at the standard rate. These are all ways in which very well-off people could pay a bit more in order that people at the bottom end could pay a bit less.
3: Okay, um, now Raj, you started with the, uh, the really big question, um, the ageing population and the long-term health and pension challenges that it contributes. Um, the government's not been uh, ignoring this issue uh, in 2007. Uh, We took through probably the biggest reform to the country's pensions infrastructure for something like 30 years. Uh, And I was the lucky minister who got to take it through, so I know it in some detail. Uh, And the two big acts that we took through really have addressed the the long-term pensions challenges. And and we took up most of the recommendations coming from the Turner Commission, which we asked to look independently at this issue and to address the long-term challenges. And I think we took through landmark reforms that will work. Um, remember, the, pet, the age at which the state retirement pension comes in is going to be deferred gradually over a period of time. Uh, we also, very importantly, introduced the concept of automatic enrolment into pensions while people are in work. The big challenge we have or had was about 10 million people not making any contribution to a pension at all while at work. That was a ticking time bomb in the pension system. Uh, well, auto enrolment will come in shortly, um, and we hope the vast majority of those people will, through their working life, be contributing to a pension system on top of the state pension <coughs> entitlement that comes. We've equalised entitlement between men and women, for example, um, which will be a great boost to many women approaching retirement who will get a, de- a full state pension instead of part of a state pension. Sweeping pension reforms designed to address that long term challenge and I think it's widely recognized that what we did was right and for the most part it commanded cross party support for the most part Um, on health huge challenge there Uh, that's why we want to work forwards towards a national care service to work alongside and supplement the national health service that too is a big long term very radical reform and when you're doing something like that you want to try and build a political consensus and we were having cross-party discussions with the Liberals included and the Conservatives. We were getting somewhere. Uh, The Tories then walked out of the consensus so that they could slap up a rude poster about us. Uh, Well, you know, that's playing politics with a very important long-term issue. I hope eventually they might be back around the table and talk seriously about long-term health before. Your question about being fair on taxation, well, I think we wouldn't start from where the Tories want to start from. Uh, they've changed their tack and they've changed their policy many times in the last six months or so but the one thing they've never changed is their first tax priority which is to give a £200,000 tax break to the 3,000 richest families in the country on a massive inheritance tax cut that is not the place to start not in these circumstances uh, not in our view you do need to address it fairly uh, which is why we've already said to the highest earners over £150,000 increase their marginal rate of tax it's why we said to the bankers on their massive bonuses we want some of that back thanks for the the general um, exchequer Um, and it's why we've already done things like putting in place a national minimum wage in the tax credit system to support low income families so yes we'll work on the principle of um, spreading the burden fairly as we've already done and that's what we would uh, continue to do
0: more questions? One more last chance? Nope, but that's it. Okay, would you like a minute to, or two to give your punchiest message perhaps or not? It's up to you. you yes, want, let's then. go ahead. <laughs> Sell them it. They're going out to uh, start the campaign, so
3: what's your big pitch? Well, I'm happy to keep on it. I'm not not just going to do that. I'm going to tell you what my job is as as a Member of Parliament. Um, And I'm listening to what the people I represent in Parliament are telling me government should be doing. Because I think that's our job at the end of the day. And I'm having extensive discussions with the young people in my constituency whose futures are at stake about the outcome of this election. And what they're telling me to do is to make sure we safeguard their education prospects, that we safeguard their opportunities to get skilled and proper training, that they will have good university places to go to and quality courses to go to, and they don't want to see us compromising on that. I'm listening to what my constituents are saying on the doorstep, and they're saying, look, we understand the country's got big difficulties in front of it. We know you've got to address this deficit, but they're telling me they think we did the right thing to deal with the crunch when it came and they're now saying to me we'll take our share of the burden but for goodness sake do this fairly and I think they're responding to what we're doing in that respect and I'm listening to what the businesses in my constituency are saying which who employ my constituents and overwhelmingly they're saying to me for goodness sake don't pull away the fiscal support too soon it will jeopardise our prospects of being successful as a business it will put your constituents' jobs at stake and in the end, my job as an elected representative is to listen to those people and then turn their aspirations into reality. And I take the view, and I'm firmly of the view, that what we're offering at this election is responding, certainly to what the majority of my constituents want us to do, and I think that would be
4: the right way forward.
0: you have your time to use this? You wish.
4: Yes, I just I had four key points about how we get from where we are. Uh, one of them was the overwhelming need to get on top of this fiscal crisis and it's got to be done properly and openly with the public, uh, we've got to sort out the banking system and make sure they support the economy and not drag it down, which is what we're doing at the moment. Uh, we've got to have a very clear vision of what a rebalanced Britain actually looks like, which creative industries and manufacturing have a bigger role, and we've got to have a tax system that is fair and is felt and seen to be fair to a greater extent than it is at the moment. I I just worry that in the middle of all this debate, there's a lot of shadow boxing going on which doesn't connect with reality. I mean, just to take one example, the one issue on which the parties are trying to create a debate is who is going to cut quickest, right? Well, the, the positioning at the moment is the government is saying, well, we're not going to quit quickly, and the Tories are saying we are. But then when you actually look at what's going on, you discover that the Tories are not actually saying, we're going to cut quickly, we're going to cut, make a tiny start quickly. And then when you look at the government, which say they're not cutting, well, go and ask your own university authorities. In the last week, I've been to my local further education college, which is making 100 people redundant, I've been to the National Physical Laboratory in Teddington, in my constituency, which is a centre of scientific excellence, which is making 60 scientists redundant, because of cuts. They are happening, they're here, they're real, they're today. And this artificial debate that's going on between the politicians there's absolutely no relation to the reality on the ground so we've, you know, if we're going to get anywhere in terms of having a serious political debate I think we've just got to level with people about what's going on and the scale of the problem and what it's going to entail okay, I'm going to
0: turn it over to Rob, Rob, over
1: to thank people and wrap it up uh, so you. Just- um, I just want to really say a brief thank you to um, Vince and James for coming down today and just present them with a small gift to say uh, Say so thank you for coming well, down. We We're like happy to clear
4: yeah. this
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hopefully, it won't cause too many expenses issues. But, uh, <laughs> I hope you'll join me in one more round of applause to say thank you for today.